0: This episode is brought to you by Hope Rocks. Hope Rocks is a grassroots organization dedicated to enlightening, educating, empowering, and engaging a community response to the epidemic of despair and death caused by addiction, depression, and social isolation. It is fast becoming recognized nationally for its unique and community-based approach for breaking down barriers and stigma associated with these issues. It's an organization whose mission is to help people see the light within so they can shine to the world. For more information, follow them on social platforms or check them out at hoperocksny.com. Okay, I am here with Matt Jamie from Bourbon Barrel Foods, the founder founder of Bourbon Barrel Foods. Hi Matt, how are you doing?
1: Hey Katie, I'm excited for this.
0: I'm so excited. Thank you so much for uh, sponsoring the podcast.
1: My pleasure. Um, You know, my marketing team was really excited about it. So, you know,
0: as a Kentucky native, it's nice to be able to partner with other Kentucky based companies. Um, So you are the founder of Bourbon Barrel Foods. How did you how did this company start? How did you get this idea?
1: I was essentially unemployable um, (laughs) looking for something that I could do that inspired me. Um, you know, out of college and, you know, I, I was a non-traditional student. So I was like 28 years old when I graduated. Um, I, you know, I had restaurant jobs. I was a personal trainer. Um, I was going to, I went to graduate school at the university of Florida for a year before I, I dropped out and started cooking and cooking had been a hobby up until that point. Uh-huh. um, realizing that it was a passion and not a hobby and that I was really good at it, you know, was, I felt like I had found my, you know, my, my, my purpose, like I yeah. could have a career, but you know, I was married at the time and, you know, telling your significant other that, hey, I'm going to be a chef. It's kind of the thing that needs to be on the table like, <laughs> before, like before you, you make that decision. And so I had to angle for a way out of the kitchen and, you know, I wanted to do something within the specialty food area and no one was making soy sauce on a micro level. And, you know, it, it interested me. And I was, and I knew nothing about it. I mean, I was not some soy sauce nerd prior to, prior to getting into this. It was just, no one's doing it. It sounds cool. I'm going to explore it.
0: So the soy so sauce that's how also, it started. The soy sauce was the thing that really kicked off the, the, the company. And so, but I, uh, you know, I was reading a bit about it and, and I know that, you know, Indiana, Kentucky, we're, we're growing a lot of soybeans in, mm-hmm. in that area. Is that, was that part of the part of the process for you of being like, Oh, we're growing all this right here or
1: no, okay. but it was extremely validating. So like I came up with this idea while I was living in Florida, I lived in Gainesville for seven years and we moved back here in 2005 Um, The idea was already in my head to make it creating the supply chain and figuring out how to do it. That was when I discovered all these things and, and knowing that and finding a source for non GMO soybeans within my state. It was more of that. You need to do this. Like everything's lining up. Hmm. Here you go. So (laughs) it's like, all right, awesome. You know, and I, you know, developing the soy it was a blind passion. And there's so many similarities and parallels between the distilling and aging of bourbon and the, you know, the brewing and aging of soy sauce in Japan. I mean, process, history, heritage, all those things. And, and it made sense to me, you Yeah. Know? and it's a weird idea. I get it. And I got a lot of those, like, you think you can make a living doing this? And I honestly didn't care. I was passionate about it and I just, I threw myself in it.
0: Yeah. Well, it seems to be working. You guys just came off of a Derby Kentucky Derby Mm -hmm. uh, festivities. How did that, how was that for you?
1: I mean, it's a special time for Louisville, right? Right. You know, it is, uh, you know, we get a lot of people and especially with the way things were the last few years uh, there were a lot of people that were just eager to get out and about, you know, the, you know, back, back up just a second. Like the soy sauce is what started the company. Um, And it's, you know, but the bourbon barrel foods brand Mm -hmm. was an afterthought. You look at my business plan. There's no mention of bourbon barrel foods anywhere. My dream for the company was just brewing soy sauce and becoming that soy sauce brewery. All this other stuff was just, oh, wow, this is cool. No one's doing this either. So here we go. We have over a hundred products now. So, you know, when the when the spotlights on Louisville, like it was for Derby, you know, the horses are center stage, but then there's all those other things that make the event special and this city special, which are like, you know, the culture around bourbon, mm-hmm. you know, the culture around food in this town. And you know, the, my products allow you to send something home or to experience something when maybe you've experienced too much bourbon. You know, <laughs> we've been able to position ourselves as you know, the, the gourmet foods experience of, uh, you know, for bourbon country.
0: Well, I will say, so, you know, do you know how I discovered bourbon barrel foods? I was at no. a, I was at a cooking class. I, I took a random cooking class at, um, in Lexington and they had, uh, incorporated this smoked paprika and I'm not a great cook, right? I like, I'll make eggs and just like the basics, but anything. So they're like, they sold me on this paprika. Cause they're like, you know, you can't really like, over spice it, like over season it. And like, it's going to taste good and you can kind of put it on everything. And I was like, okay, like I can handle that. And so from there, it's like, now I've tried the salt and I've tried the pepper and I've tried the soy sauce. And so it's like, it just has snowballed from there. And what I love about it is that it makes me seem like a good cook because it's so, (laughs) because it's so flavorful. And So, so I'm also, I'm also allergic to onions and garlic. And so there's so many things I can't put in my food. And so this, it makes it taste so much more flavorful. And I, and I, and also, you know, I'm sober and so I'm almost five years sober and that's, you know, being from Kentucky and like, you're talking about the bourbon culture, there's a, there is a big bourbon culture and feeling like I can actually participate in that is, is a, is a gift. So, so thank you.
1: You're welcome. So you said you took the words out of my mouth. So uh, I was going to let you finish, but I was like, you said, I'm not a great cook. And I was like, I wanted to say, don't sell yourself short. You're buying my products. You're an absolute genius and then you mentioned um you mentioned the sober piece and so i've been sober 41 months so almost three and a half years um and i get it a lot from people you know that uh, that have made that decision they say it exactly the way you did like it allows them to be a part of the party mm-hmm. you know people are so used to giving bourbon as a gift or you know you yeah. go to someone's house and you. You know, you bring uh, wine or bourbon in, uh, you know, that it, it, it's, we've, we've completed an experience, you know, where it's like, yeah, I, I don't use bourbon as an ingredient, in a lot of what it is that we make, but everything that we make, um, you know, personifies bourbon country.
0: Yeah. I mean, and so would you describe how. So, you know, how you're getting that bourbon flavor in all of these products because you know, it's so delicious and it's so mm-hmm. such a unique flavor. Like it's like the only place I've ever tasted it.
1: The way we impart that bourbon flavor is yes, on occasion we will use it as an ingredient but in a very small amount. Um, but we use those barrels after the bourbon has come out of it to age And so the soy sauce that we produce is barrel aged. So we brew it for a year. Uh, we, you know, we put it through a process where we have to press the liquid out of the solids. Um, we take that liquid and we put it into a, uh, repurposed bourbon barrel for about four to six weeks. And it pulls that flavor out. You know, it's incidental, you know, Mm -hmm. there, Soy sauce is fermented. There's a minimal amount of alcohol produced. It burns itself off. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's no alcohol in our product. Uh, The flavors that you're going to pick up on and soy sauce, if you've ever heard of umami as a flavor sense, it's that all encompassing fifth flavor. Right. So it hits all parts of your tongue.
0: So there's a gift for everyone too, which I just mm-hmm. recently gave a gift uh, to David Macias of, of 30 Tigers, the record record label. He was a guest speaker. And I was like, well, I'm sober. Like you, like you said, it's like instead of sending a bottle of bourbon, I'm going to send a gift basket. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's stuff that I that I like and I know that other people will like. And it's representative of of me and where i'm from and what i represent. so i really appreciate that you that you've made this this company and that you've put so much into it because it's been a it's been a blessing for me to find it. Um, mm-hmm. and so and i also i just really appreciate you you sponsoring the podcast and partnering together. where can people find these products because like i found it i i came across it in a physical store in lexington. Right.
1: so obviously online barbenbrawlfoods.com um and then on that website there's a store locator app okay you know you can i would verify like if it pops up a store in lexington make sure that store is still open and well, then yeah. with over 100 products make sure they're carrying what you're looking for yeah and it's and then, like that we have that up for all over the country
0: so that you are you're all over the country at this point mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yep. and you, also, if you're listening to this podcast or watching this podcast, you can enter the code TUPINTOX, I'm sorry, Tupin10, 10, Tupin10, 10, and you get 10% off of your order at bourbonbarrelfoods.com. Matt, thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining me, and thank you so much for talking to me. Uh, I hope I get to meet you in person next time I'm, I'm coming through town.
1: Yeah. Do yeah. you live in Louisville?
0: Uh, Lexington. I'm currently okay. in Austin, Texas, but... Uh, yeah. but but I, you know, I have a place in Lexington and uh, I'm currently living there. Okay. <laughs> I'm, right. a, I'm in, a nomad.
1: Enjoy Austin.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And we'll talk real soon. Welcome back to Toopin Talks, you guys. Another Another episode. Here we go. This episode, I'm going to tell you some memories from the road and talk about what it's like being on tour. I get that asked all the time, so I'm going to go into that. But first, got to thank our sponsors. we got Hope Rocks and Bourbon Barrel Foods. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Without our sponsors, these episodes would not be possible. Bourbon Barrel Foods is also offering 10% off if you use the code 2 10 on their website, which I would highly recommend because their foods make your food taste fancy. So I have this smoked salt and the smoked pepper. I'm looking at it. That's what's happening right now. I'm looking at my, it's over there in the kitchen. And I put it on pretty much everything and this smoked paprika. So 10 of 10 would recommend. They have tons of other products too. And they're all delicious. And if you're sober like me, a lot of their products don't actually contain bourbon. If you're not sober, they also have some bourbon products. All right, I'm just gonna get right into it this week you know, memories from the road. Here we go. So, okay. Let me just describe first a day on the road. That's something I feel like there's a lot of mystery around and it's really not exciting. So a normal day on the road in a van, you're waking up early, you're driving to a new city. So sometimes you're waking up you know, eight o'clock so that you can get to load in by three o'clock. Sometimes you have long drives the day of that's, that's pretty typical because, especially in the United States, because the United States is so spread out. So you're waking up early, you're getting in a van and you're driving. And so your load in is normally around three o'clock or four o'clock. You're loading in all of your gear. You're meeting your sound engineer at the venue. You have sound check about an hour after that. Then after your sound check, the, you have to leave time for the opening band to sound check. And by that time, it's doors. Doors are around, you know, six or seven o'clock, something like that, seven o'clock. And then there's a window of time where nothing is happening. And then the opening band plays or the opening band plays immediately. And then that's when, as a headlining band, you have time to change clothes or eat. Uh, for me, I always I was was jealous of, of the men because the men don't really do anything they don't do the makeup or the hair that a lot of times they aren't changing the wardrobe so they just went to dinner I would oftentimes ask my tour manager to bring me food back so that I could get ready for the show otherwise I just wouldn't have had time to eat I would go on tour and lose a lot of weight because because there just wasn't time to eat um my my weight kind of fluctuated on tour I feel like to be totally honest but sometimes I would get really, really skinny because I just couldn't find the time to eat. And I also really hate fast food. So, and those are pretty much your only options, especially if you're in the middle of the country, it's fast food. Okay. Moving on, but then, okay. So you're playing the show. The show is over, I don't know, 11 o'clock, 1030. If you're lucky, I, I am, I have been posting about this. I want to do an entire tour where the show starts at seven o'clock. If you are into that, just leave a comment, leave a comment that like you would be down for the headlining band to play at seven. I want to be in bed by 10. That's what I want to do. I don't understand when I'm, when I'm going to shows now or playing shows, I often am like, I can't believe you guys are all here. I like, I'm grateful that everybody's there, but I can't believe everybody's there not in bed. (laughs) I like to sleep. Okay. So, you know, you're playing the show, show's over, You then, then you got to talk to people because that's what you got to do and you got to sell some merch. And so you're there and then you got to load out your gear. So you're probably going to be there till at least midnight, sometimes later. And then hopefully your hotel is in town. But if you have a long drive the next day, it's a good idea to book a hotel outside of town so that you can drive and get there uh, and then, then have a shorter drive the next day. So what I'm getting at is there's a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, and most of your day is revolved around sitting around and waiting for that hour that you're going to play. It's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of sitting around. It's a lot of being in a van. It's a lot of waiting at a venue. It's just a lot of waiting. It's not that exciting. So that being said, There's a lot of low lows, a lot of high highs with the shows and all that. But sometimes there's some really awesome moments and sometimes there's some really memorable moments that kind of make it all worthwhile and kind of addicting to be have a life on tour. So I'm going to name I'm going to give you three uh, three memories that I have from from being on the road. And the first is a really early on memory. Now, this isn't necessarily a good memory, but it's like really memorable. So our first tour as a band, we went on tour with. Uh, we were opening for dry the river and we get to New York and I don't think any of us had really been to New York or if we had, it was, we weren't driving. So this is the first time I think we ever drove in New York. And, and so we get in front of the Bowery and we get there early. So we get the parking spot right in front of the Bowery and we're like, yes, we're not moving our car all day. We're going to just keep putting money in the meter. It's going to be great. We have a spot because we have a trailer, you know, we have a van and a trailer. And we're all like 20 years old from Indiana, never having had been in New York. So it's a bit overwhelming. OK, so we, we get there and then the headlining band pulls up and they have this like tractor trailer situation that bands can rent. I think they're called like band I don't know what they're called, but but I don't even know if they still exist, to be honest, but it's like a tractor trailer situation that the band it's it's like a tour bus, but it looks like a tractor trailer. So they pull up in their thing. And they're like, you guys have to move because we're enormous and we don't have a place to park. So, and we're headlining. So we're, we're like, well, we don't have a place to park and we're terrified. So <laughs> we're going to take the trailer off the van and we put it on the sidewalk. So that seemed like a good compromise. So then we could both fit in front of the venue. So after the show, we're like loading out all the gear. It's late. Probably some drinks had been had. So we're loading out all this gear. We're putting the trailer back on the, on the hitch. And we take off and we're going across the Brooklyn Bridge at midnight, at least maybe one in the morning. And we hit a bump and the sound was horrendous. The trailer had bounced off the hitch. We hadn't, I guess, attached it correctly. And the chains were dragging the trailer across the Brooklyn Bridge in the middle of the night. And so it's pitch black it's dark outside, and so the the lights of the trailer are no longer attached, and we're stopped in the middle of the bridge. So it's very dangerous. Somebody could come up and hit that trailer. So the guys all jump out of the van and are you know in between the trailer and the and the van, putting this thing back on and reattaching it as quickly as they can, so that nobody gets smashed. So we all lived to tell the tale. Uh, the the trailer is permanently bent so if you know anything about trailers they have like a like a leg that comes down when you take it off the hitch so that when it's just sitting on the ground it has it can sit level well this trailer's uh, leg is like permanently at a 45 degree angle and it has been since our very first tour and I actually still tour with that trailer that trailer probably has like a half a million miles on it or something So the trailer was uh, the Hound Mouse trailer, and then uh, we upgraded to a bus, and so we were no longer using the trailer. Then Twin Limb is a a band from Louisville. They took the trailer out for a few years, and then when I left the band, I took the trailer back, and so I've been using the trailer ever since. So that trailer still has a lot of life left in it and a lot of stories to tell. It's very sentimental. Okay, the next story. This is a fun one. So... When I, when we were relatively new, we had the opportunity to open up for the Alabama Shakes because we shared a booking agent. And so we're on stage uh, with the Shakes. There's some other parts of this story that I feel like I would need to leave out. I got to leave out because, because I don't really have permission to tell, uh, you know, everybody else's story. So, but I will tell you this, this, this show was relatively memorable for me because I learned an important lesson where we were playing in front of 15,000 people. In, and it was sort of this big parking lot-ish space or something. And then right next to it was this abandoned water park. And so we played, and it was awesome. And But, like, overwhelming, just this sea of people. And, and that was by far the most people we had ever played in front of, maybe ever played in front of. I'm, I have no idea. Uh, so, so we play the show, and then... Britney and the shakes go up and they play a show and it's incredible. And then I remember Brittany coming off stage and she was like, Oh, that show. I just, I didn't feel good about that. And I just thought, what, like, how could you not feel good about that? And I realized a very important lesson uh, about performing from that moment, which I, I, I use to this day when I get on stage, if I am making, if I am expecting the audience to give me something back, I almost always have a bad show. But if I'm not, I'm there to give to other people and I don't expect anything in return, then I always have a good show. So it was just this really important moment for me hearing her feel like she had a bad show because I've we all felt like that. If you've performed, you felt like you've had a bad show when really it was an experience you were having in your own perception. So, okay, so we had that moment. So then... We had a really fun evening. uh I—that's I, the part I'm gonna have to skip. Maybe I'll—I'll I'll bring that story back around for another day. So then, at, late at night, we all decide—everybody but Brittany. Brittany, I think, goes home. We decide we're gonna break into the abandoned water park, and we do. So we go—we break into this park, and it has this water slide. I think we were in Toronto. Or somewhere. And so they had this slide. It must have been 10 stories tall. I mean, it was so tall. And so we're like, we're going to go up to the top of this water slide. So we go up there. We do all the stairs. and, um, And we get up to the top. And it has this beautiful view of the city. And so then we decide, because we're so smart, that we're going to walk down the slide part, not the stairs. And we do that, which... We didn't know it was structurally sound like we could have just died, like Houndmouth and the Alabama Shakes could have just died <laughs> walking down a slide. But it was so fun. And then at the very end, a security guard noticed us and kicked us out. So that was a really fun, a really fun day on the road, of breaking into that abandoned water park. That was something I'll, I'll never forget. And then my last story for you is playing Conan. I am going to be totally honest. I don't remember which time this was, but Conan is super nice and it's really fun to play Conan because he's really involved with the show and, or he was really involved with the show and the, and the jokes. And so he would come in and they would rehearse all day and then they would do the show. And And he was a big part of this is working. This isn't working. Let's do this here. Let's take that out. So he's a big part of the writing process of that show. And then the other part that's fun is he plays guitar and he will sit in and he'll jam with the house band and he'll sing songs uh, in between uh, rehearsals or in between things he needs to do. So that was really cool. And so he'll be the first to say he wishes that he was a musician. (laughs) And actually he said that, at the end of our performance like he came up and he was like oh man I just I wish I was doing what you guys were doing and I looked at him (laughs) and that night so to get to that performance we had to drive through the night from San Francisco because we had a show in San Francisco and then we had to be there in the morning to be ready for Conan and so I had slept on the floor of a van and then Conan is telling me that he wishes he did what I did and I just like couldn't handle it I was like no you don't like I slept on the floor of a van last night so I think you're I think you're sitting pretty 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 Conan and so so anyways so then so that was like on camera but like at the end of the set and where he comes out and he shakes our hands that was the interaction that we had and so then after you know we're kind of getting ready to leave there's like a backstage area where there's some green rooms and it's actually a really great green room They because he's such a musician. He has little amps everywhere and they have massage chairs back there and they have food. And it's a really, it's a really awesome experience. It's very different than David Letterman's sort of backstage area. Cause that's in New York, but, so this is in LA. And so, so we're, I'm walking into the green room area and he's passing me and I was like, Oh yes, like I get to have my Conan moment. Like my one-on-one Conan moment, I was so excited. But then the rest of the band came out, and I was—I had to share my my Conan moment, which was fine. But, but um, so we're all chatting, and he's so super friendly. And then he he asks us if we would like a picture, which is so kind because we were never going to be asking him for a picture. So I always will remember that too—that moment of him uh, offering the picture because I think that was a really—it's a really kind thing to do when people are uh, intimidated by you or whatever. So he offered a picture. So we all got a picture together and then he leaves and he goes around the corner. We're all just like, Oh, that was so awesome. You know, Conan's great. And so he, then a couple seconds later, he pops his head around the corner and he says, don't forget me. <laughs> and then he just leaves, which I thought was hilarious. Like how we're never gonna forget you Conan. don't worry. So those are my three stories from the road that were just so much fun and yeah being on the road is really hard like I was saying at the beginning of this episode it's really taxing it's exhausting, burnout is real and most of the time it's not very exciting but there are moments that do that do make it worthwhile and I'm really grateful for those for those memories. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I also want to remind you that if you're watching the live premieres here on Facebook, you can comment and share and be entered into all kinds of drawings to win free stuff. So if you're listening to these podcasts, you still have time to run over to Facebook, find the episode, comment and share to be entered into those drawings. Okay guys, until next time. As a Kentuckian, I am so excited that I discovered Bourbon Barrel Foods. I discovered Bourbon Barrel Foods at a cooking class that I took where they showed us this Bourbon Barrel smoked paprika and it has since become a staple in my cooking. I sprinkle it on my eggs, I cover my chicken dishes in it, everything I cook seems to incorporate this paprika. So I got curious about Bourbon Barrel Foods and I found out that this Kentucky-based company has everything from sweet to savory sauces, jams, jellies, seasonings, syrups, cocktail cherries, and their signature micro-brewed soy sauce. And while I'm sober, so many of their products don't actually contain bourbon. Some do, but many get their flavor from slow smoking with the bourbon barrel stays. Bourbon Barrel Foods products are absolutely delicious and represent the culinary traditions of Kentucky that I am so proud to be a part of and the heritage of bourbon country. BourbonBarrelFoods.com offers free shipping on orders $75 and over. And if you use the code TUPIN10, you get an additional 10% off. Enter code toupin I N one zero at checkout on BourbonBarrelFoods.com.